the Midnight Breakfast Cafe, where three pals talk about food, pop culture, and other nonsense. I'm Tracy. I'm Natalie. And I'm Stacy. So what have you guys been watching lately? On your recommendation, <laughs> I started watching Kantaro, the Sweet Tooth Salary Man, on Netflix. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did not tell me that it would be so, per- like, for lack of a better word, like, pervy. It is like the pervy. I used the word sexual about food. Yes, it is the most sexual like show about food I've ever seen, and like there's no yes. sex happening, but and... it is so sexual. So I think <laughs> for us newbies like me, I think you need to give a brief description because my brain is just going places. Okay, probably well, the right places. <laughs> honestly, it's an adaptation of a Japanese manga about this man who basically demoted himself he used to be like this really successful program engineer and he decided to become Mm -hmm. a salesperson so that he could sneak out at work to go eat desserts and this is like a sitcom yeah it's a japanese live action adaptation of a manga every episode he finds like this new dessert place to try and then while he's out selling books to bookstores, because that's what he sells, he t- like he has to plan out his trips really down to the detail so that he can make time, like half an hour or something, to go to a dessert store and basically have a metaphorical orgasm in the restaurant because he is so, <laughs> like, he just loves sweets so much. His reactions are over the top. Right. There's some things in this show that made me legitimately uncomfortable to watch <laughs> so this is like a real show right it's not like a dessert review show that has the book salesman thing as a framing device no this is fiction i mean when he goes to the cafes he kind of reviews them but it's like it's all an excuse for the abstract nonsense that's about to occur it's not like a legit review in the same way that i don't know anthony Bourdain has never like turned into a dessert and flown through space and time while trying to describe how he likes something. Oh, I know exactly which episode you're talking about. <laughs> so every episode they have to make up a new bakery? No, these are no, real, it's real places in Japan. It's just that he's a fictional character. <laughs> okay, but he goes to real places that you can also go to, but they will never live yeah. up to this this man's experience. <laughs> No, but you kind of get the idea that, no, like, you know, in the same way that, like, Samurai Gourmet, like, he has these experiences that you're like, I just like food a little bit. And he seems to be, like, seriously enjoying this food. So, in the same way, Kantaro is like, okay, the dessert is really good. And sometimes you see other people eating the same dessert and just be like, yeah, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> then he's just the one who's going crazy over it. Yeah, it, like, this to- the show totally sets it up that we know that Kantaro has a weird fetish about desserts. They have background characters in, like, the same restaurants as him, and they're having much more normal reactions to him. You even have a few characters, like, kind of looking at him oddly and, like, scooting away because they just, they don't understand his reactions. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, it's kind of a fun show. It's, like, nonsensical. It's not for, you know, legitimate food experiences, but... There's even, like, scenes where, like, he just starts fantasizing, like, he's in outer space, and he meets people with, like, dessert for heads. Yeah, it's a common thing for him. He likes to turn into the foods when he eats them. (laughs) Like the Gushers commercials. Hmm. Yeah. 
Okay. Or, like, there's the scenes where he's, like, wearing one of those, like, yukatas, and he's standing under a waterfall of, like, syrup. This sounds very suggestive. Does it go, does it go beyond suggestive? Like, the subtext becomes the text? Well, I haven't seen all of it yet, but so far there is, like, this sort of dessert-related flirtation going on, but it has not come to fruition, so we don't know yet what that would look like. Tracy, have you seen the episode where, like, she tries to catch him out with a box of uh, doraya yaki? That's exactly what I was thinking of. Okay, all right. (laughs) So you can sort of see how desserts might come into that relationship, but, you know, we don't know yet. I mean, it's also kind of like the climax of a meal, if you think about it, in Western culture. Like, you're supposed to end your dinner with dessert like it's not fully complete until you have dessert right (laughs) i think part of the reason i like this show though is sort of the same vein as samurai gourmet it's kind of just a relaxing viewing experience like you know watching people eat it's just like a way to unwind after a long day and just like imagine all these enjoyable food experiences that you could be having I do think the three of us really enjoy just, you know, footage of food being put together, though, as well. Yeah, it's true. Like, a cooking show sort of started this, but now it's starting to come into other genres as well. Right. But yeah, I would classify all that as kind of like a relaxing thing for the eyes. And I feel like most people in the world enjoy food. Like, it's something we can all bond over. So I really do enjoy these TV shows or even fictional TV series that are framed around food. I don't really watch food shows. Uh, No, I mean, like, go on, Natalie, go on. (laughs) But, oh my gosh, I cannot watch The Great British Bake baking show like I can't watch the blind challenge where like you know they get the recipe but they're like are no instruction or there's no baking times oh yeah oh like measurements or whatever yeah so it's like the sec I think it's like the second part of every challenge where the first one is like can you do it and the third challenge is like your own spin or whatever um but the second one is always the one that I find the most nerve-wracking yeah because I always think that, how are they going to do that? How could they possibly make that up off the top of their head? Yeah. And this is still as nerve-wracking, even if you turn the sound off? Um, <laughs> no, so, like, I haven't tried it, but I think that if I mute it, I will find it a much more bearable show. Because well, then you don't really know what's happening. It's just people running around and then desserts appear. Well, you can still have, like, the closed captioning on, but you won't have that music that's like you know designed to make you be like oh my god they're running out of time yeah because right. i watched an episode and they put that music on there too <laughs> i was talking about i was talking about the show with a friend and then so the show has like two there, there are more than two judges but the main judges are like mary berry and like paul hollywood and then mm-hmm. they said that the worst thing about the show is paul hollywood's gentle disappointment it's so much worse than if he were just angry with them yeah i also heard that uh if anyone ever gets really upset on that show and starts to cry all the judges will stand around them and curse because then they can't use the footage (laughs) 
I thought uh, that was really charming. What, really? <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise, you know they'd try to put that on TV. Everybody likes to watch crying people, I guess. But no, they don't want that to be a part of it. So they just uh, make it unusable. I can't imagine Mary Berry cursing. She's like a gentle <laughs> grandmother lady. No, I love yeah. that. I think that's so nice where they're trying to like, no, we don't want the whole world to see them crying. So let's protect them by cursing. Wow. But imagine how puzzling it must be in that moment. <laughs> like, I'm crying and people are just, like, cursing all around me. That would be really weird. Yeah. Oh. oh I like that show. But it is really stressful for me. Yeah, I can see that. That's because you're a baker. That's true. So, like, when you watch TV on the couch and things get stressful do you just like curl tighter and tighter into a ball and then until like at the at the height of the show like your shoulders are up to your ears and you're like why are you doing this to yourself you're supposed to be enjoying this saturday night (laughs) i walk out of the room i cover my face with my hands but then i peek which is like a stereotype or or like a trope from a movie but somehow looking at it through my fingers does make me feel better (laughs) in a way that i cannot articulate but yeah, Whatever I do get works, those works. too tense. Okay, so do you have, like, a guilty anxiety pleasure in, like, a TV show that you watch even though it stresses you out? Oh, probably. There's a lot of shows like this for me. <laughs> um, Like, Hannibal was one of those where it's, like, so many terrible things could happen on Hannibal at any given time. And you could see so many disgusting sights, but at the same time, like... Also food and good drama. (laughs) Yeah, but that's not food I want to (laughs) eat. You would think, and then you see it, and you change your mind. (laughs) Tracy, have you used any of his recipes? No, but it's all stuff that I wouldn't eat even if it was animal parts. It's just, that's not tasty sounding, Hannibal. I like that the AV Club used to do recipe pairings with their reviews, though. Oh. (laughs) Never stuff I would make. Stacey, do you have a show that, like, kind of stresses you out? And yet I keep watching it? Yeah. Um, kind of? Um, I recently, uh, I recently kind of got an existential crisis in the middle of watching The Good Place. Oh. Oh, gosh. What yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't suppose it was the first season. <laughs> no, no, it was the second season. So I don't want to get too um, into the details because it might be spoilers to some of our listeners and to Natalie yourself. The premise of the first season is that four people have basically died and they've woken up in the afterlife in the good place. Except our main character, Eleanor Shellstrop, played by Kristen Bell, um, she knows that she doesn't actually belong there like she, because she was a horrible person in life and she's just like trying hard to pretend to be a good person so she can stay in the real good place and yeah basically 2 weeks ago my grandmother who's over 90 years old had a stroke and my mom went to go take care Ooh. of her so i've been at home by myself and I just kind of started feeling like really stressed without really understanding why. Like my heart was constantly like just racing. And then I came home one day to the empty house and I just basically had a breakdown. Oh no. 
Right. And then because I realized basically at that moment was just that, you know, my grandmother's over 90 years old, my mom's over 60 years old, and I was just kind of like, just really worried about, you know, their lives and the end of their lives and what happens afterwards. And I was just like, and I'm watching a show that's literally about people who are dead. And it just kind of like, <laughs> kind of like crashed down on me. So that was just like, at a mo that was not a good moment for me to be watching The Good Place. So I think that's something I would caution against people. If there's anybody in your family who's like, you know, who's at the, near the end of their lives or you're dealing with some sort of death, don't watch The Good Place. Because it will make you just like question so many things and take you to a really dark place. Like watch it if you feel really good about who, like where you are in life. So Sheryl Sandberg just, you know, Sheryl Sandberg, that lean-in lady, she just yeah, wrote a her, book uh, about the passing of her husband and, like, how she coped with it and how, like, kind of, like, how other people cope. Mm -hmm. I, didn't I didn't read the book, but I listened to her interview with Katie Couric, who also lost her husband, um... I don't know, like, I don't think there's anything helpful that one can say besides, like, well, this is a tough time. No. It's yeah. so personal for everybody. Like, I don't really want anybody to just, like, hug me and say, like, it'll get better or or anything. It's just more of a, just, this is how I feel and just be aware that this is how I feel so that if I have any really odd reactions, you don't think I'm going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, just like an awareness. Yeah. And then like what she did, which I don't think is available to everyone, is like she just found meaning. Um Oh, she just found it. Where was it? Like <laughs> she yes, she just found me well, she just found meaning in her husband's life and she was like, I'm gonna among other things, like I am trying to I will try to uphold like who he was. And the things that he believed in make something meaningful out of this really terrible situation. And then one of the things that she said was before when there was a tragedy, she would apologize to that person once. Like, I'm sorry that this happened to you. And then she wouldn't bring it up again because she didn't want to like, quote unquote, like remind that person. But she was like, I'm never going to forget that my husband died. Like, it's not like you can tell me this thing and then I'm like, oh my god, like I forgot, but now you made me remember and I feel terrible. And then she said it was really <laughs> helpful that what she learned for her was if people like acknowledge that this bad thing happened and also acknowledge that, you know, she is capable of doing things and of moving on, even when she herself did not feel like she, she was capable of doing anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then she was talking about how, because she works for Facebook, she would say, like, oh, Mark Zuckerberg would say, like, you made a really good point at that meeting. And then she was like, there is no way I made any sort of coherent point at all because I was just trying not to cry. <laughs> and um, I guess, like, people seeing, like, the strength in you when you yourself don't see anything. <laughs> but that's really dependent on other people. Nice. Like, it's not, like, something that you can do to your, for yourself. Yeah. I think that's a good perspective, though. 
Yeah. Like, uh... Yeah. No, it's a good perspective because I feel like sometimes that sense of just the crushing weight of death, whether it's somebody else's or your own impending death, it's so heavy because of, you know, this idea that death is so final. And that's what gets me down sometimes is that because I'm not religious, I don't believe in an afterlife. So for me, death is death. There's nothing beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that my life could have meaning that I'm while I'm here on Earth, that is a really big deal to me. Otherwise, it's like one day I'm gone, and what do I have to show for it? Because the people who remember me, they're going to die one day, and the people who remember them, they're going to die one day, and like the whole Earth is going to die one day, and the sun's going to implode, and that's going to die, and then the universe is going to ah, uh, uh, yeah, like we, it's we're spiraling. Yeah, that's what happened. I spiraled. <laughs> They spiraled yes. hard. And it's like you can't think about it because it's too overwhelming for our human brains. <laughs> I guess it's just that when it happens, I won't care anymore. So I may as well just kind of enjoy things that I have now and try to formulate meaning because when that moment comes that I'm so afraid of, it's I might not even know that it's happening and then it's going to be past and whatever happens happens at that point. But you know, it's not something that is going to matter to me after the fact so much as it does now. So I try to keep that in mind. Yeah, I also try to like (laughs) remind myself, it's like, you know, by the time that I'm old, I'm probably like ready to be like, to like, rest, like I won't be holding on so tightly anymore. But at the moment, it's like, I guess it's like, I'm really lucky that I enjoy my life. I enjoy life. I enjoy watching these really weird perverted tv shows about food i enjoy finding (laughs) new shows i enjoy food and i want to continue enjoying these things yeah i remember i must have been in elementary school when i first this is gonna sound like i was a dumb kid and i probably was (laughs) we're all dumb when we're in elementary school okay but yes we were i realized like, what death was, and it just hit me, like, like, a load of bricks, like, it hit me in my heart, and I was just, I remember feeling scared and, like, overwhelmed, because my little brain, like, it's just, like, your brain can't contain this, so it just kind of starts firing, like, sparks and stuff, but in a bad way. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And then you're just, like, oh my god, like, it's, like, the fear of the unknown, but, like, your little brain, because, like, you just haven't had life, you haven't lived very long, that is just, like, it's such a totality totality that's, like, completely absorbing. And then, like, you know, as I was getting older, like, every once in a while, like, I just get, like, a pang through the heart where it's, like, death, it exists, it is out there. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. That happens to me sometimes, still. Yeah. I don't know what to say to you, Stacey. I feel like I'm not being helpful at all. No, no. <laughs> I, I don't need anybody to be helpful because that was like two weeks ago. I, I've gotten out of my spiral, <laughs> so that's good. But I can tell you the first time I ever had like an existential crisis. That was like about seven years ago, and I got it in the middle of reading The Vampire Lestat. By oh, really? Rice. What yeah. was the nature of this crisis? 
It was the same thing. I was on a bus. I was reading the Vampire Lestat. It was in the middle of winter. It was raining constantly. And it was just kind of like, I think it was kind of like the first time I truly realized, like deeply in my soul that like we stop existing when we're dead. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, because they talk, they kind of talk about this in the book too, like these characters who are afraid of death and like they're vampires and stuff. And it was just kind of like, oh, I think now I understand why I've always been into vampires. Like this thing has always like been in the back of my mind, just unconsciously the whole time. That's why I like vampires. I kind of want to be one. Yeah, that's true. Any immortal creature has that appeal. Right, but a vampire is kind of like more um, attractive than a zombie or anything else because at least vampires are sentient. Right, and they kind of are better even than humans are in a lot of ways. Right, like in terms of they just have abilities and they can probably accumulate a lot of wealth over the years, so they're usually pretty well to do. Yeah, like I would say the only major problem a vampire has is that they can't go out in daylight, but then. I'm kind of nocturnal by nature. I rarely see the sun anymore. So I'm like, that's not so bad. Even when I'm under the sun, I sunburn so easily. I keep the hell out of sunlight. And you got to eat people might be a downside, depending on your, uh, whether you like the show Hannibal or not. (laughs) But like, aren't you scared that you're going to get stuck in time? Like you're going to get stuck in the past and then you're going to wake up and look around and everyone that you like cared about is dead and the culture that you're surrounded by is like completely foreign. I think the culture part won't be as difficult, but like the whole people part might be more difficult depending on what sort of personal connections I'd made. Like if I enjoy being a vampire, I might turn all the people I care about so we can be vampire pals together forever. And like, if I don't care about (laughs) you, you can die. That's fine. But you know, like (laughs) old people, like they don't listen to new music. They're not hip with the times or the language or the culture. So like, what is the point of persisting if you lose the ability to adapt? But you know what? I've always thought when I was younger, I looked at the uh, adults in my life and I thought there will come an age where I stop caring about new things. And I just, you know, I, I get stuck in whatever little portion of myself I like the most and I do not proceed. And I thought that's what has to happen when you become an adult. But now that I've met a lot more adults, I realize I don't have to do that at all. If I right. want to, I can just keep adapting. I can keep listening to whatever the new junk music is and keep learning the new technology and all that. And if I was a vampire, that is exactly what I'd do. I'd just keep rolling along. And it's not like you ever get exhausted. It's not like you ever don't have the resources or that you can't find somebody young and hip to teach you because you also look like a young person. So I think it would be uh, just complete moving forward as if you were in your 20s or whatever. I Uh, I think it's also part of it is a lot of the new music or whatever that's being mm-hmm. pushed out, it's targeted for a specific age range. We're just slowly aging out of it. So can we talk about Sandman? Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, you mean Neil Gaiman's um, graphic novel? Classic. Yeah, I have the whole set. <laughs> One of the lessons that, like, we change or we die. And, right. right. And then it just feels like if you live forever there's going to be a point where you just don't want to change no more. And then you're done. Yeah. 
you're talking about the lead character's like dream himself. Dream, right? right? He, yeah. He became incapable of uh, continuing to adapt, and so he couldn't persist anymore. But I'm thinking about there's another character in the story. He's a side character. He pops up like a handful of time where he basically lost the ability to die because he bragged about it. Like he was alive during the Elizabethan area. Death overheard him talk about how he was just planning never to die. So she decided to never let him die. Mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah. And then um, he and Dream like meet up every few hundred years at a tavern yeah. or something. Yeah. But that character kind of seems like he seems all right with this inability to die. He's like, well, I'm just going to continue seeing the world as long as I'm allowed to. Right, which I know there's a lot of stories about how eventually you get sick of it and you're just like, I'm done. It's been enough. It's been enough years. But I've always been of the mind that I believe that when I see it. Let me have the immortality first and I'll decide if I've had enough or not. (laughs) I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. And if it did, at least I got a couple thousand years out of it, you know? Yeah. It's okay if I'm bored for the rest of it. I think one life for me is quite enough. I will take my 80 years. Or 75, or 70, or 65. 100. I'm doing 100. You know, you get the amount of time that everybody else gets, which is one lifetime. Yes. It's the space between two breaths. Your first breath and your last breath. Oh, I like that. Mm, Yeah. I did not come up with this. I read it in a book somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just quoting death earlier when I said that everybody gets one lifetime. Yeah. (laughs) And we never know... You know, when it's going to happen, which I think is the scary part. It's not like dying is scary. Like if you were given five years notice, you'd probably make it work out. Did you ever read that book, Machine of Death, I think it was called? No. It was like uh, somebody posted this prompt online and it excited the whole internet so thoroughly that they published a book of short stories with this as the theme. But basically the premise is a machine is invented that will tell you not when you will die, but how you will die. And it's basically a whole book of short stories about kind of how that could pan out for you. And there's a lot of really interesting ones in there. And I think that knowing anything about my death would make it so much worse. Yeah. It would be, I would wrap up so much anxiety around it. Like the idea of its randomness is scary, but at the same time, at least it lets me remove myself from it a little bit. Because if I knew that I had X amount of years, or if I knew that I was going to die in a car crash or whatever, it would totally change everything about what I choose to do. I think it also depends on the person you are or and it's not the person you think you are but the person you truly are. Would you actually like you live your remaining 5 years to the fullest or would you be constantly like using it to plan how you could potentially escape your death? And unfortunately, I think I might be more of the latter. <laughs> But yeah, it's interesting that there's so many of these kind of sci-fi stories that deal with death or immortality, because I think that's why we do it, is because we're trying to hash out the fact that we wish there was some way to understand it better, or we wish there was something we could do to prolong it. Yeah. Which is kind of like the show The Good Place, because it makes (laughs) you think a lot about what your afterlife would be like. Yeah. Have you thought about it? Like, what is your afterlife like? Oh, like your ideal, like your heaven, or just what you would get if you died? Well, I, I don't think I get anything, so. 
<laughs> like, I hope this is it. So you should watch season two soon because there's one episode where the characters um, envision what their personal hell would be like. And Jason Mendoza has a funny one. <laughs> of course he does. Of course. I think I've always had a hard time picturing what I think heaven would be. Because for me, heaven would just be, I get to stay here. Like, there's a lot on earth that I like. So, like, heaven would just be, like, here but more. It's got fantasy stuff, too. We can fly around and, I don't know, better food, maybe. Not that our food is bad, but I'm sure there's something in heaven that I would like to eat. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Maybe that's one of the reasons that it's such a hard concept to swallow is because the idea that there's one heaven for everybody is like, but what's there? Yeah, We don't know. I guess that's kind of what makes a good place kind of attractive because it does seem a lot like normal life, but better. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know, man. Maybe it's like the holodeck. Like in... Your afterlife would be like the holodeck, and that you yeah, would be able like to Star queue Trek. up things. But I don't know. It just seems like it would get boring after a while. Forever is a really long time. Makes me think of there's a <laughs> Twilight Zone episode. I've never seen this, but I was told about this. Where basically this gambler, he dies and he goes to heaven, and he just like wins all of his gambles, and and like he's so popular at the casino. And at first, he's, like, really happy about it. But after a while, he slowly gets bored and, like, even more bored. And then one day, he says to the, like, angel, he's like, you know what? Heaven just didn't seem as great as I thought it would be. Like, it's not fun when you know you're always going to win. And the angel is like, wait, you thought this was heaven? This is hell. (laughs) Um, Have you read the the short story, um, Hell is the Absence of God? No. I don't think so. Well, it doesn't really matter because I just thought the title was cool. Like, this has no bearing on on the story that I was going to tell. It's a good title. Well, it kind of reminds me of the Christopher Marlowe play where um, Dr. Faustus, where basically heaven and hell is not really a place that you go to. It's kind of more of your state of mind. Like, you go to hell because as you're dying, you know that you're going to go to hell. So, basically, the premise of the story is, like, hell is... Hell's the absence of God. So, like, you know about God's love. Well, this is getting really religious. But, like, you yeah. kind of, you're, like, forever outside of it. And then, so then you're, like, well, what if heaven is just a moment of ecstasy? Like, that's all it is. It's, like, a forever good feeling. Hmm, yeah. And then, but then you're, like, well, is forever good better than nothing? Like, because it's kind of like nothing, right? Like, if you hear the same sound, after a while, you don't hear anything. Yeah. That's true. It's a very confusing topic. <laughs> That's maybe why heaven would have to have variety in it. Like it would have to be like constantly changing for it to really be heaven because anything else is just forever of that. And this I don't know. scenario I kind of appreciate like Buddhism where like you're you're constantly reincarnating, but with each reincarnation you gain enlightenment until you are truly enlightened and you don't really you don't stop existing you don't exist as yourself but in a state of enlightenment or eternal bliss in heaven but rather you are absorbed into buddha and you just exist in the state Mm -hmm. of nirvana for the rest of whatever there is okay yeah i think that's kind of something that 
it makes more sense to me as what a heaven would actually be like. Maybe not, I don't know, Buddha's the guy that's going to be there, but, you know, it's just like a state of happiness. Or, like, it's but, like each time you kind of let go a little bit more of what ties you to the material world. So, like, by the time you finally reach Nirvana, you're ready to be there. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Like, detachment is... Maybe it's good when you're dead, but it's not really helpful when you're living. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think that's also for me. It's like, I want to have all the answers. So this idea of like, you know, you reach nirvana, you become enlightened, you know everything. It's like, whoa, of course I can't exist on this earthly plane be anymore because I am just, I'm too much for this world now. Yeah. Which reminds me of this other point. I have one issue with The Good Place. It's a really minor issue, but because <laughs> I'm Taiwanese, it is an issue. There is no Mandarin name that is pronounced Jianyu. That, that is just not Mandarin. <laughs> For one thing, it's like there is no U sound in Mandarin. It's U. It's 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 a U sound. <laughs> oh. So do you have an alternative? Is it like Jianyu? Yeah, something like that. Like they could have like a Western twist. Just mm -hmm. the pronunciation itself has been bothering me, and like it's fine for Jason Mendoza to not know it or for the other characters to not know because they were told his name was Jian Yu. But for celestial beings, for Janet to make that mistake, oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so glad in season two they're kind of like, okay, enough with the charade. He's Jason. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I love Janet so much. <laughs> not a yeah, girl. Yeah, she is my not favorite a robot, character, I think. But I am attractive. Yes. <laughs> I think she's my favorite character, too. There's a lot of really good videos. Like, her, the actress who plays her does a lot of improv. Mm -hmm. So there'll be videos of her doing, like, the like you know, a one of the other characters will say something and she'll have a comeback. But she'll try out, like, 20 different comebacks. And they're all <laughs> hilarious. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I recommend these videos. Um, okay. But speaking of recommendations, do you guys have any recommendations for this week? Okay. Since we were talking about food shows at the beginning of the show, my recommendation is another Netflix food-related TV show. It's called Midnight Diner Tokyo Stories. So basically, it is also a, story, a series of stories that are framed around food. A man operates a diner that's open at late night, and his customers come in, and we kind of get pulled into their personal stories, some of which are triggered by the foods that they eat in the diner. So there are definitely good scenes of the chef making food. Everybody calls him master. And at the end of the episode, they'll have like a little tip about how to make this food in a more delicious way. Oh, that sounds fun. Oh, yeah, it's, it's really good. I especially love the pilot episode where this late night radio DJ, he meets one of his childhood idols because... Um, who was basically in their pocket universe's version of the Power Rangers. She was one of the actresses. And she's given up acting to become <laughs> a cab driver, and he basically wants to find out like more about her life. And she's kind of resistant at first. And they meet because she comes in and she orders soup noodles without noodles. And he's like, what is that? How can you have soup noodles without noodles? <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. Watch, yeah, we gotta watch this episode to find out. Nope. So, any recommendations from you? 
Uh, yeah, I was reading the new, it, well, it's a novelization of Wonder Woman by Lee Bardugo. It's called Warbringer, I believe. I would say I am not the kind of person who reads novelizations of comic book characters that are done as YA novels, but I am a big fan of Lee Bardugo, who wrote the Six of Crows series that I was a huge fan of when it came out, and so I was kind of like, alright, I guess I'll read that. And, like, halfway into it, I'm super into it. Like, it's not really an adaptation of the comic book, and it's not really, it doesn't closely fit with the storyline of the movie either, but you have to accept it as kind of like an alternate, an alternate origin of Wonder Woman from when she's like a teenager. And it's super cute and fun, and she has so many good Amazon friends and great adventures. I recommend it a lot. It's very nice. So my recommendation this week is a cocktail recommendation. And my favorite cocktail is called Honey Bee or The Bee's Knees. And it's like a gin and honey and lemon juice cocktail. But I didn't have any gin, so I made it with vodka. And I've been drinking it the entire time we've been recording. And, okay, it's not as good, but it's still pretty good. Where it's um, one and a half parts vodka to one part lemon juice to one part honey syrup. Thanks for listening to Midnight Breakfast Cafe. To get the latest episodes, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter at MBC Podcast. You can find links to things we mentioned this episode at midnightbreakfastcafe.wordpress.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please like and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us. Happy breakfast and brunch, everyone. Bye. We did not talk about the topic at all, but I think we got to uh, some more interesting places. But it's funny because our original concept was like, the good place, feel good viewing. And it turned into the good place, feel bad viewing.